28. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that we can sing about your love because we would not know about your love unless you loved us first and you loved us most and you loved us to death. You loved us to life. You are loving us to purpose. Thank you, Jesus, for your promise that you came to give your sheep life and life more abundantly. And it's because of your love for us that is not based on our performance or even, Lord, our degradation. You loved us while we were still sinners. Thank you, Lord, for your perfect love that casts out fear Fear of condemnation, fear of rejection, fear from the enemy. Your love, the gospel, the love of Jesus, his blood that we sang about today reminds us that we need not fear anything because you are over everything. So when the banners from the enemy come to lie against us, Jesus, we declare that you are over everything. And as we sang today, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us to choose you. Thank you that we know who you are. Thank you that we acknowledge that you are the Lord of our lives and the Lord of this church and the Lord of the universe. You are God, and beside you there is no other. So, Lord, that gives us a humble boldness, a quiet confidence, a blessed assurance. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, would you help us in this interaction with you? Would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Would you bring conviction? Would you bring encouragement? And then, Lord, would you give us the desire and the strength to apply the word, not only in church on Sundays when we hear it preached, but every day throughout the week when we read your word, listen to your word, meditate on your word. Jesus, be our teacher, our preacher, and our guide. We love you, and we honor you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, today is Valentine's Day, and I just found out that one of our couples is celebrating 27 years of marriage today. The brother got married on Valentine's Day because he wanted to remember. So Jesse and Nanette Butler, uh, would y'all please stand, please? Uh, I, she probably doesn't want me to do this, but would you stand, please? 27 years. Where's Jesse? Where's Jesse? Where's Jesse? Where's Jesse? My man. Congratulations, brother. 27 years today, right? Amen. You got big plans today? You got big plans? All right. Amen. Sister got her red on today. Amen. Can I have all the people that have on red to stand? No, 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 no. no. Well, last night at the Valentine's potluck, for the members and the friends of Strong Tower Bible Church. We assembled at the home of Sean and Lana Bell. They were so kind enough to host us. 
and upwards of two dozen couples showed up last night and we had food and we had great time fellowshipping and talking and getting to know one another and then it came time to dance let the church say amen it came time to dance now some of us were a little bit challenged in the dance department but Sean and Lana, being the kind of hosts that they are, they, they instruct people around this city on various dance moves and techniques. And so what they decided to do was they lined us all up into two rows as they patiently and methodically taught us the basics of dance. And so Sean had the guys, you know, put the left foot down and the right foot, you know, left foot. So he had us do that. Then he had the ladies start with the right foot, then the left foot. And then we clapped because we did something. And for some of us, that was something. <laughs> and then, you know, he had us add a little something, you know, step back on it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> step back on it, you know. And then he grew us up to dancing and twirling and all this kind of stuff. And some of us, I could tell. Uh, Baraka and his wife, they, 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 that, that was uh, beginner stuff for them because they would glide on the dance floor. And you know, there were some other dancers in there, and I won't name all y'all's names, but some of y'all was like, this is a little bit beneath us. But some of us, and I won't name your names either, y'all were holding on with those little steps. Larry Warren, I won't call any more names, but man, Scott Ralston, I won't call any more names. So there were different levels of dance ability in the room. But Sean broke it down. He called Lana out and, and he said, what you need to know about dancing is found in those basic steps right there. I know you don't think it's much. And so they began to do their thing at a faster speed. And as I'm watching his feet, I'm like, he really is doing the step that he's taught us because that's the foundation and the base for the rest of the dancing. And so as they're spinning and doing all that stuff. I'm like, all they're doing is the same step that they taught us. And I want to get there one day. Ain't that right, Doreen? We're we going to get there one day. <laughs> and I thought about that because that's a lot like discipleship. Because in discipleship, we have people who are at various places in their dance with the Lord, in their walk with the Lord. And some of us, man, we're just starting out. And so these basics that I'm talking about right now, as far as the building blocks of Strong Tower Bible Church, about discipleship, for some of us, man, this is new stuff. We've never heard this before. And we're trying to learn how to get this and grow with this. But for others of us, we know all of this stuff. We, we, we understand these basics. But like we learned from Sean and Lana is that no matter how far you go as a dancer or as a disciple in the Lord, you cannot escape the basics. Right. And a lot of times people get in trouble on their job because they neglect the basics that help get them the job and they begin to cut corners and, and they neglect the basics. And so as spiritual uh, folks in the Lord, we can't neglect these basics some of us may move a little faster, but hopefully we're still operating with the basic building blocks of our faith. And so at Strong Tower Bible Church, what is the mission of this church? We started it last week. We'll conclude today on the mission. But the mission of Strong Tower Bible Church is that we exist. Why are we here? To make disciples of Jesus Christ by being a Bible-based 
multidimensional fellowship of believers. So that is our mission. To sum it up, we are here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, our mission never, ever changes. Our mission is why we are here, and we are here to make disciples of Jesus. Now, next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about our vision. And our vision periodically changes because our vision deals with where we are going, whereas the mission determines why we are here. That doesn't change. But from time to time, God may lead the church in a different direction in order to accomplish his agenda. So we have to be sensitive to him. And over the years, we've had various vision statements and directions that he's given us. But we've always had the same mission that does not change. And we are here to make disciples of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 28, we see what Jesus says to us. He says it to the disciples then. And he says it to those who will believe on him through them. And he says in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 19. Jesus said, go therefore. Now, this is before he ascends. So these are some of his final words. So you want to pay close attention as he is about to ascend. His final words are very, very, very important. And he says to the disciples, go therefore. The therefore is there because he previously says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And based on this authority, you now go into the world. Go therefore, because I have authority and I am giving my church, my body, my bride, the authority to go into the world and make disciples of all the nations, all of the ethnic groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So he gives what we would call a command. You know about the great uh, commandment, which is to love God and love your neighbor, love yourself. But this is the great commission to go into all the world. But this great commission is also another great command because the the term make disciples in the Greek language is an imperative command. It's an imperative command. So Jesus is giving us a command. Go and make disciples. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. And this command from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is surrounded by three present participles. So the command, make disciples, is surrounded by the words go, baptize, and teach. So in order to make disciples, we've got to be going in the present tense. It's a present participle. We've got to go into the world if we're going to reach the world with this gospel. We just can't stay in the aquarium. We can't stay in the church. We've got to go into the world. So going, Jesus is assuming we're going into the world. Because he says in John chapter 17 that uh, he's going to leave us in the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And he's not only leaving us in the world, but Jesus said in that passage, I'm sending them into the world. 
And so, yes, we come into church, but church was never meant to be someplace we just huddle in alone. No, we come in here and huddle so we can break the huddle and go out in the world individually and collectively and let our light shine, spread the salt of Christ, the aroma of Christ. We go into the world, in the workplace, where we go to school, in our neighborhoods, wherever. We are the ambassadors and representers, representatives of Jesus Christ. So we are to make disciples. We're to go individually as well as collectively. And you may say, man, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's okay, because you still have the responsibility of doing evangelism. And you have to do it the way that God gives it to you. So hold on, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So going is one of those present participles. Then Jesus said, baptizing them, these disciples. Now, this involves water, but it's so much more than water. Water is important in the kingdom as far as the baptismal water, but we know that it is not essential for salvation, but it is important concerning the saved. Because in that time, when someone would get baptized, it was putting their lives on the line because they were now identifying with God. They were now identifying with Jesus Christ in a way that they had never identified with him before. And it was a way that could cost them their lives because for the Jews, they were monotheists. So when Jesus came talking about God is my father, they thought that he was committing blasphemy because in their mind, God did not have a son because that would mean God would be two and all this kind of stuff. So they couldn't break away from rigid monotheism. Now, as believers, we are monotheists, Christians, we are monotheists, but we believe that God is one, but he exists in three co-equal persons. It's a mystery. And so in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, when you baptize these disciples, baptize them in the name, which is a singular term, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are not the same, but these three are one. So now they are being baptized. And the word baptized literally means to identify with. So Jews are now being identified with this man from Nazareth that people thought was out of his mind. And so when they would get baptized publicly in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they were opening themselves up for persecution from their Jewish family members because many of them did not believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, yet alone as the Son of God. So when they got identified publicly, not privately, but publicly in water, being baptized, that let the world know. And that let the Gentiles who would come to Christ, who came out of an idea and a philosophy of life that the emperor was God and that there were many gods in the pantheon of worship as far as the, the Greek and Roman philosophies. Now they're claiming that Jesus is God, that God is God. And as we sing today, there is no one beside him. Now the, the Gentiles are identifying with the message that could cost them dearly. So baptism was a little bit more than water. It was important. It was about public identification with the one true and living God who has revealed himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now they need to be taught. So to make disciples, you've got to be going. You've got to be baptizing them. And by the way, I got some good news for you. We've got a new baptistry that has been ordered, and it is on its way, and we're going to be having baptisms again pretty soon. And it's going to be one of those ones that we can roll out here, do our baptism, and then roll it right out, boy. I tell you, it's coming. It's in the mail. It's going to be coming soon. Who's going to be the first person to get baptized? I may go back in just to try it out, you know. 
baptize them. But then you've got to teach them present tense. Keep on teaching them because we all need to keep on learning. None of us have ever arrived in this life concerning the knowledge of God. We will go to heaven and even in, in heaven we will not put a capstone on the knowledge of God. Because God is inexhaustible. As soon as you think you've learned everything about him, there's still another side to his glory that will blow our mind. So we need to teach them. And so Jesus said, when you guys make disciples, this is how I want you to do it. There's got to be some word. Teach them what I've commanded you, the word. Let them watch you, which is observe you. Uh, 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 you've got to go and do this, guys. Uh, uh, they can't make disciples by themselves. You've got to go, which is application. And as you're making disciples, there will be this multiplication and the gospel will spread from heart to heart, from person to person, from city to city, from town to town, nation to nation, until the world is able to hear and see the gospel through the representatives of Christ. And so as I look at discipleship, there is no one way to make disciples. Some churches have a, a specific way and God bless them. Sometimes uh, churches can disciple people in a way that can be a little manipulative or domineering. In other words, unless you're a disciple this way, you aren't really discipled. Unless you're baptized by us, you aren't really a disciple. Unless you have an experience with the Holy Spirit, you aren't really a disciple. So some churches, uh, we have to discern. We have to test the Spirit. And you better test the Spirit of God with what I'm saying by the sword, the word of the Spirit, even as I'm talking. So discipleship is not so much a formula. But it's a way of life. It's life on life. It's not like a, a recipe. Do this, do this, do that, and then boom, you're a disciple. Now, there are certain ingredients or proponents to discipleship, and those are the things that I began to talk about last week. So it's not a formula, but these are some of the key principles. So for us, discipleship happens when there is Rome. R-O-A-M. What is Rome? Rome is revelation. This is biblical. Got to have the word to be a disciple. O is for observation. This is personal or relational rather. Someone that you're watching and someone is watching you. Application. This is personal. And then in multiplication, this is intentional. So when I look at Matthew 28 and when I read other portions of scripture, I see those key principles uh, of discipleship. And so last week we began by talking about revelation. This is biblical. Jesus said in John 8, 31, you are truly my disciples if you hold to my teaching. We cannot say we know God, but we do not adhere to God's word. And so God expects us to grow in his word. Uh, he is called the teacher for a reason. We are students, which is literally what the word disciple means, that you are a student. Jesus is the teacher and the world is the classroom and he is always with us. Imagine growing up back in the day in elementary school, if your teacher just came to your house and lived with you for a while. It was one thing to see him at school. And it was another thing when your parents came up to school for a parent-teacher meeting. But it was an entirely different thing if your teacher ever came to your house. Because they were not normal people. Excuse me, teachers in the building. But teachers were not normal. You left them in the classroom. You did not want to see them anywhere else. Especially in your house around dinner time. But Jesus is the teacher that says, you can't leave me in church. I'm going with you everywhere you go. Every day I'm with you when you wake up till you go to bed. I'm here teaching if you're willing to learn and listen. Thank God he's a patient teacher. He's a good teacher. And so he teaches us through the word. So how is your time in the word? 
Do you read the Bible? Do you meditate on the Bible? Do you memorize the Bible? Do you study the Bible? We said last week that this is your weapon and you need to be familiar with your weapon in the midst of engaging in spiritual warfare. So to be a disciple, we got to open up the book. Now, I love reading books by great spiritual leaders. That stuff has its place, but that stuff cannot replace reading the Bible for yourself. And let's say you're not a good reader or, you know, your eyesight is going. They have giant print Bibles. And if that doesn't work, listen to the word. There are apps you can get to listen to the Bible. Because back in the day before the printing press was began, they had to hear the word by hearing it recited. And so they would sit out in the congregation, not being able to turn or unroll a scroll. They had to listen to someone read it. And as they heard it read, that's how they got a hold of the word of God. But now we can not only hear it read and thank God for worship today where you read scripture. The Bible says we should give attention to the public reading of scripture. So thank God the church does that. We are the pillar and foundation of the truth. Jesus said that the word of God is truth. And so in the church we get the truth, but we also need to get the truth at home on our own. Can the church say amen? amen. We all need growing to do in that. Mm, sometimes I know when I, I need to read the word because I feel empty. Like, man, my soul is empty. I need to spend some time with the Lord. And as I spend time with the Lord reading these love letters, he begins to fill my soul. This is not simply data on a page. This is not the letter of the law. This is the spirit of God breathing on his children when you open up this book and give God an opportunity to speak to your heart. And you may say, I only got two minutes this morning to read something. But God knows how to breathe on that two minutes. The next thing you know, I, I can't put it down. Oh, wait a minute. Let me read the next chapter. And next thing you know, two minutes then turn into 20 minutes. And whoo, boy, oh, I love how God does that. But the flesh don't want to go there. But we got to tell the flesh, no, we going there today. We getting in this word today. And get a reading plan. Just don't do the Bible like a Rolodex. Let's see here. I'm um, Okay, I'm going to read right here. And he went into the closet and closed the door and never came out. That's what I'm going to do today. No, no, don't do that. Don't have a plan when you read. And then we talked about observation last week. That this is relational. Jesus said, when you make disciples, teach them to observe. Teach them to watch you. Let someone get close enough to you. To watch you put these principles and commandments to practice. And you get close enough to them so that you can watch them because iron sharpens iron. So as we heard today, the body of Christ is about community. None of us can do it alone, nor should we try to do it alone. And so the question was asked last week, who are you observing? Who is observing you? And so today we'll end with application and multiplication on the mission of making disciples. Uh, application. This is personal. This is personal. Because when you stand before the Lord, you're going to be standing there by yourself. And you're going to have to answer to him for yourself. You can't say, well, pastor did this, or my mother didn't do that, or my husband. Now, you're going to have to answer because the Bible says each one of us must give an account. And so we have a personal responsibility to apply the things of God and we can't shuck responsibility, we can't deflect, we can't blame like Adam and Eve did in the garden, which is also a propensity of ours. We have to take responsibility for who we are and what we do in Christ. 
because knowledge gained but not applied is simply a waste of time. A lot of people know a whole lot of Bible. But when it comes down to applying a whole lot of Bible, sometimes there is a disconnect. Some of the greatest prophets you will ever want to hear are drunkards or winos or bums. Because when they come under the juice, all kind of stuff starts coming out of them. Like, man, they know the word. They know the things of God. But see, that's why wisdom is called skilled living. In the Hebrew, wisdom, if you know it and you put it into practice, that's wisdom. But if you know it and don't put it into practice, that's foolishness. And so a lot of us know a lot of stuff. Some of us don't know a lot of stuff. But whatever you know, man, let's begin to put it into practice. Confession. Listen to this. It is essential to becoming a disciple. Confessing. But apparently it is not enough according to Jesus. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 on the screen. Listen to what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So we know that to become a Christian, there must be confession and belief and repentance. So confession is a part of it, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 13. But confession should not be alone. Because some people say, I prayed a prayer. But then when you look at the works, and Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. And the Bible lets us know that we're not saved by works, can never be saved by works. But the proof of our salvation is seen in our works. So we don't work to get saved, but we work because we are saved. He's changed us, and we want to live accordingly with who we are now adopted by. And we know that sanctification and growing in the Lord is a process, but man, there ought to be fruit in our lives. Even if it's a grape or a big old watermelon, there ought to be some productivity in our lives because we have a relationship with God. So confession is essential to becoming a disciple, but apparently it's not enough because Jesus is going to say to people on that day, when people are going to stand before him and they're going to say, we called you Lord, Lord. And Jesus is going to say, that's not enough. Why? Because you did not do the will of my father. You did not apply what you heard. And this term does the will of my father is also in the present active indicative, which means that doing the will of the father should be an ongoing lifestyle and a practice. Once again, none of us are perfect, but we are pressing towards the mark of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We are moving every day towards Christ. And so this is what Christ is saying here. We must do the will, not just confess. Now, what's interesting about Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 through 23, is that Jesus now is going to hit some things just to make sure that we don't slip too quickly into works-based righteousness or, or performance-based acceptance. Because some of us can say, well, I got that work thing down. So, so now watch what Jesus got to say on that work thing at verse 22 and 23. He says, now many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done, there it is, work, many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So confession is essential, but apparently it's not enough, especially if it's not accompanied with doing the will of the Father. And yet we see on the other side 
that works are essential, but apparently that's not enough to have a relationship with God because you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool God any of the time because if your works are coming from a place to exalt yourself, to say, look at me as I preach, look at me as I cast out demons, that is a religious spirit. That is not a saving grace spirit from God. And so Jesus says, you're not right either. There has to be a blessed combination of spirit and truth, of profession and application. And so all this theatrical religious performances that draws attention to ourselves does not impress our God. So again, we don't want to try to live for the people. We want to have that personal relationship with God that shows up in the presence of people. Because when I stand before God, it's not about the people. It's about me and the Lord. My, 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 my. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, we all need to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. Because some of us think we're sheep, but we're nothing more than a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's not too late to repent. If you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. Don't say, man, I thought I was saved. I go to church. Man, he's talking to you. Repent and say, Lord Jesus, save me from religion. Lord Jesus, save me from this, this, this fire insurance kind of salvation. I was playing games when I was a kid. I, I just prayed this little prayer. But if you don't see fruit in your life, check yourself before you, you know it. James 1.22 but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And so in the Hebrew thought, the proof that you heard God was that there was obedience in your action. If there was not obedience, that means you didn't hear God. But if you heard God and obeyed, that's proof that you heard him. But if you say you heard him and didn't obey, then you didn't hear him. That's why Jesus would say, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. Because you can hear audibly, but not hear in your spirit. Because if you hear it in your spirit, there's going to be a change in your feet and in how you live your life. And so just don't be a hearer of this word, be a doer. And that was the whole challenge with the book of James, that many people thought it should not have been included in the canon of scripture because it appeared to emphasize works. And it seemed to contradict Paul's message in Romans about grace. But no, they don't contradict, they complement. We are saved by grace and we're saved unto works as a result of being saved by grace. So we can't say I'm saved by grace, but our lifestyles don't show it. And I'm not just talking about quote unquote living holy, but I'm even talking about the spiritual disciplines. Like, for instance, money. Money is a great indicator of where our hearts are with God. And there's a lot of people who say they have a relationship with God, but if you look at their bank ledger, it shows that maybe they don't have a relationship with God because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if we looked at what you purchase and what you invest in, what you put your money on, and we don't see many or any kingdom things in there, again, you might want to check yourself before you check yourself. Beware of cheap grace. Beware of cheap grace. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a great minister during the time of uh, the Second World War who was used by God to minister and even save the lives of many people who lost his life in the process being killed under Hitler's regime. Here's what he said about cheap grace versus costly grace. He said cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. 
But costly grace is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. So grace is going to produce something in our lives. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 talks about how the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what does it do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So from time to time, if grace doesn't teach you to say no, grace shouldn't just be there to say, man, you are not condemned for messing up. We all mess up every day. I've never had a perfect day in my life. I mess up every day. Grace will not only tell you that you are not condemned, but grace will also say, here's the strength and the motivation to get up and serve your God out of a pure heart, out of a cleansed heart, out of a cleansed spirit. Grace will get you up and teach you to say no to the stuff that you keep seeming. Oh, my attitude, my anger, outburst, my tongue, whatever it is. Oh, God, forgive me. There's no condemnation, but grace will also say, now we got some teaching to do. Because we're disciples and we're always learning. Oh boy, I love it. I love it. So there's application. Nobody can live the Christian life for you. Your mother can't. Your spouse can't. Your children can't. Your parents can't. We've got to live the Christian life ourselves in the power of God. So multiplication, finally. We make disciples. We need revelation. We need observation. We need application. And again, it's different for everybody. That's why we got to be careful about judging and being fruit inspectors that have been uh, uh, unsanctioned uh, fruit inspectors. Nobody asked you to, to roll up on me. Oh, okay, maybe my grapes didn't come in the way your grapes came in, but I do have a couple of grapes. Will you leave me alone? And that's why Jesus says in Romans chapter 15, be careful how you judge another man's servant because the Lord is able to make that person stand. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And so, so, again, we pray for one another, we encourage one another. If we have a relationship with one another, we can talk about some things that we may see that's contradictory, or we may also be able to say some things that are encouraging. Man, I see you quoting scripture. I see you spending time with your kids. I see you growing in your prayer life. And so when we have access, because we're in that kind of a relationship with people, then we can speak things. But we got to be careful of being un. Ask for fruit inspectors, because sometimes we can have that Pharisee thing. And I got a series coming up on Phariseeism. Oh, Lord, I, I, I'm going to preach that with a package of Band-Aids up here, because it's going to cut. Oh, and I'm just going to share the love. I'm going to share the love. It's coming. Oh, my goodness. We have so much Pharisee in us. Oh, boy. Got quiet. Let me move on. Uh, <laughs> let me say this about <laughs> multiplication. This is intentional. This is intentional. Um, we talked last week about growing up as Christians, growing up. Now, we're going to grow naturally because we've been born again. But if we want to develop spiritual muscle, we've got to be intentional. For bodily exercise profits little, but spiritual discipline leads to great gain. So we've got to do some working out spiritually. We've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're not working for the salvation, but man, because I have it, I want to work out spiritually. And if I don't work out spiritually, I won't be able to see my natural spiritual abilities grow into phenomenal spiritual abilities. Like I would see guys when I was growing up and they just had natural gifts on the football field or the basketball court, but they didn't want to work hard. So they had this ability, but they didn't want to put in the work in the weight room. They didn't want to do the things with the diet. And so they were good players, but they could have been great players if they disciplined themselves to work. 
And we got a lot of Christians, man. We have gifts and we are blessed, but we don't want to grow in the spiritual disciplines to go from good to great for Jesus. And so to grow and multiply, we've got to be intentional or we just will always be mediocre as believers. No, no, let's be intentional, man. Let's be intentional. And Jesus lets us know in one of the last parables that he taught, it was the parable on the talents. And he talks about this owner who goes away, but before he goes away, he calls his servants in and he gives them talents or finances to invest according to their ability. Everybody did not get the same because everybody did not have the same ability. The owner knew this guy can handle five. This sister right here can handle four and this homeboy right here can handle one. And he went away and he expected a return on his investment. I'm giving you something. I'm going away. And when I come back, I expect to see what I gave you doubled, if not tripled. So when he comes back, he comes to the first one. And uh, let's see here, verse 20. I'll just read it here. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of our Lord. So this Lord here, who is a picture of the Lord Jesus, who will come back on judgment day, and he wants to know what did we do with what he gave us because he expects a return. God expects us to be intentional, to multiply what he gave us. But as you read that narrative, you do remember One of those three did not intentionally invest what was given to him. And uh, that person said, well, Lord, I'm a, uh, what I did was I was a little afraid. I was a little afraid. And so I, I dug a hole and I put your talent, your money in the ground. And, and here it is, the same thing you gave me before you left. And the Lord was not pleased with that. He, matter of fact, he went on to say, you wicked and lazy servant. And he says, if you know how I operate, why didn't you at least put my money in the bank so I could get some interest on it? Why? Because I expect something on my investment. Has the Lord invested in you? Yes, he has. He expects something on his investment. Don't you dare show up to him on judgment day looking the same way you did when he first met you, when he saved you. Man, have something to give to him. Oh, Lord. And it may not be five turned into ten, or it may not be two turned into four, but can it at least be one turned into two and a half? Hey, how about one turned into one and a half? Do something with what he's given you. We've got to be intentional if we're to see the kingdom multiplied. So we must be intentional, number one, to evangelize the lost with the gospel. That's part of our job. It's just not the church's job or the preacher's job. That's all of our job who know the Lord. And Paul said in Romans 10, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall the person preach unless they are sent? And guess what? The Lord has sent all of us into the world and he's empowered us, ordained us, and authorized all of us to be preachers of the gospel. So that Holy Ghost power that we got is just not for shouting. That Holy Ghost power is to be a witness in the world that dares you to be a witness. The Holy Ghost power that we have casts out fear to stand up in the name of Jesus and proclaim his gospel in lips and in lifestyle. So we must evangelize the lost. And there are lost people around you. There are lost people in your family. There are lost people wherever you go. And when the Lord gives us an opportunity, the same way he gave Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, may we take it when God opens a door to share 
But until that time, man, there's a lot of seed planting and watering. So we got work to do to evangelize the lost. Look how Jesus applied what he preached. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, as I move to a close. It says, and Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee. In other words, he's going into the world. He's not staying in the synagogue because he started his ministry by reading the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue. They tried to throw him off the hill, but he didn't say, let me go right back into the synagogue because that's how we do church. He left the synagogue and went to where the fish were biting. You can't get the fish if you keep fishing in the same pond that don't have no fish in it. You got to go where they're biting. And anybody that does fishing, they always want to know where they're biting at. And man, in the world, they are biting out there. They're not always biting in the church. I've had people get mad at me. Why don't you give an invitation every Sunday? Well, because I don't like fishing in the same pond every Sunday because a lot of the fish have already been caught. But I want to equip you to go out into the world so that you can do some fishing and you can give some altar calls. We don't have to always be traditional. So we do them every now and then, but not because the church, we're here to equip you to give altar calls. We get, oh boy, mm -mm, that, that messes with us. You share the gospel. I don't know enough Bible. Memorize some Bible. But watch this though. If you don't know the Romans road and John 316 and John this, you can at least share your testimony with lost people. Mm -hmm. You can at least tell them how you met them. Paul did it. Paul would say, look, I was riding down this road. I was lost. But man, the Lord met me, knocked me off my horse. I was blind. But while I was blind, I was able to see. Then he gave me eyesight. Next thing I know, I'm preaching. You can share your testimony. Girl, let me tell you something. I was out there on them streets. Well, maybe that's not your testimony. Girl, let me tell you something. I grew up in the church, but I didn't know the Lord. You tell your testimony. People can identify with that. And so Jesus walked to where they were, out at the Sea of Galilee, where people were doing their business. They were at work. He sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Look at verse 21. Going on from there. He's practicing what he's preaching to us, going into the world. He saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. My God. You see, when Jesus speaks to your heart, it don't have to be no long, drawn out thing. When he says, you need me. I want to save you. Follow me. Give me your life. When he whispered, oh, my. you have no choice. Yeah, he gives you a choice. But man, the irresistible loving grace of God, oh, Lord, don't harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. And if you've never done that, I don't care who you are, if you've never followed him, if you've never said, Jesus, I want to be your disciple, Jesus, come into my life. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice speaking to you saying, you are religious, but you are not right with me. You think you're on the inside, but you're still on the outside. You do not have my spirit in you. Then you humble yourself in the sight of God. He gives grace to the humble. And you say, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Save me, Lord Jesus. If you've never done that, today is the day of salvation. But not only must we go to the lost with the gospel, but we've got to disciple the saved with the gospel. So we've got to reach folks so they can be converted and then be discipled. 
Because we all need the gospel. Lost people need the gospel and saved people need the gospel. We must constantly beware of the tendency to fall from grace into works-based righteousness and performance-based acceptance. In Galatians 3.3, Paul said to that church who had started in the spirit but had turned to works, he said, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? You started in the spirit and now you're trying to maintain holiness by works. That is wrong. Don't trust in circumcision. Trust in Christ. Don't trust in Moses' law. Trust in Christ. Every day we need to hear that because it's so easy to slip into, oh man, I got to do something so God can love me today. I don't feel his favor today. I messed up. So let me try to do some works now. No, we repent and we thank him that all the work has been done to accept us. And out of that, we now serve him and show fruit in keeping with repentance. But I don't need to earn no points. I got all the points I'll ever get through the cross of Jesus Christ. I got to believe the gospel today. Titus chapter 2, verse 2. Paul said, Titus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So let's keep it going. Be intentional. You hand the baton of the gospel to someone. That person turns around and hands the baton to someone else. That person hands it to someone else. And we keep this thing going. So the question is, who discipled you? If no one formally discipled you, you may have been one of those who learn, you know, through osmosis. You learn by observation. But some of us have had people intentionally disciple us. They handed us the kingdom. They taught us some things. They spent a couple of weeks with us or a couple of years or it's ongoing. They're teaching us the kingdom. We are to then turn and teach someone else. It should not stop with us. We should be conduits and vessels that relay the kingdom to other people, especially our children and those in our household. So we need to disciple others and not leave that to the professionals in the church. Paul discipled Titus. Paul discipled Timothy. Who have you discipled? Timothy was discipled by Paul. Titus was discipled by Paul. Who discipled you? Man, if you don't have someone that's discipled you, walk up to somebody and say, will you disciple me? If you see someone that needs some direction, walk up to them and say, let me spend some time with you. Let's meet Saturday mornings over breakfast. Let's just get in the word together. Let's talk about our lives together in the presence of God. That's how we grow. Ah. Conclusion. Discipleship. Though commanded is not something that we can demand. I said last week, it's kind of tricky. Go make disciples. But I really can't make a disciple. Some ministries, again, we got to be careful where they want to demand discipleship out of people. We can lead people to living water, but we cannot make them drink it. So discipleship, though commanded, we can't demand it of people. And this will not ever be a church where we demand discipleship and we become judges over one another, criticizing each other about your entertainment. Uh, where were you last night, Brother Rawls? Uh, I didn't see you at the prayer meeting on Saturday night. Uh, we don't want to be that kind. We will not ever be that kind of church because some define discipleship by control, manipulation, and spiritual abuse. That is not discipleship. That is religion, the spirit of religion and condemnation. And we cannot police people and we can't always measure discipleship because we're all growing at different rates, just like all the dancers were out there last night. Now, some were more progressive than others, but we thank God we were at least on the dance floor doing what we could with what we had. And spiritually speaking, are you on the kingdom dance floor doing what you can with what God's given you? One day you're going to be gliding like Sean and Lana, but right now I'm counting in my mind. One, two, 
three, four. But in a little while, I'm, I'm going to be gliding. And that's how I should be spiritually. Man, yeah, somebody's helping you and they're filling your cup up. But you're going to say, man, one day I'm going to be filling somebody else's cup up. I'm not going to always be the person that when you see me coming, you say, oh, what they want now. They want me to pray for them, read to them, and intercede for them. Man, I might need you to do that for me today. How about that? So discipleship involves Rome. And every Christian, just as every church, has the mission of making disciples as Jesus commanded. But does your life and my life show that we are taking Christ's command to heart? This is why we got to hear this stuff on a regular basis, because it's easy to just slip in and be spectators. God did not call any of us to be spectators in the kingdom. We're all to be participators. Make disciples. The movie War Room, as I mentioned, was a great movie. But it's a movie, really, not only about spiritual warfare, but it's a movie about discipleship. Because Miss Clara discipled Priscilla Shira's character, Elizabeth. They would spend time together in the word and they would talk life and they would share their faults and they got encouragement and she was given instruction and she puts that prayer room in her closet. And then little by little, she begins to see God do great things to the point where now she can even turn around and start trying to help her husband grow spiritually. So you saw like this domino effect. Sister Clara hit Priscilla Shira, who hit her husband, who hit the daughter who was watching. Discipleship was happening in the movie. But this ain't no movie. This is real life. Who are you helping in the kingdom of God? Well, as the worship team comes back up for this final song, the brothers are going to lay on the stage uh, more of the discipleship books. Is there a final song? Or you want me to close? I'll close. Uh, I need the brothers to lay the books on the platform. We have more books the book is just uh, uh, something to help you. You do not use that book to replace this book. That book is just to try to help you 